It seems that it's only human to evaluate events and decisions and uh, always come back and say, you know, if I had planned that, I would have done this differently or that differently. Uh, Every football fan says, if I had been the offensive coordinator, I would have called this play or that play, or I would have done things differently. You'll go to uh, different events and you'll participate in it. And then you'll come home and you'll begin to talk and think about it and say, you know, if I had planned that event, I would have done that differently. It's kind of like this morning. You know, if I had planned the baptism, I probably would have had water in the baptistry the night before, so it would be like 95 degrees rather than waiting 20 minutes before baptism and it being 60 degrees. Uh, um, so, but we survived, and, uh, and those were truly baptized people. And uh, when they went under and came up, that was a glory hallelujah for two different reasons, uh, salvation and get me out of here. Uh, this is good. But, uh, but these things happen. But, you know, we do that. You know, we evaluate things. And so this week, what I did was I began to think about the Christmas story as it's laid out in Scripture. And uh, you find it in Matthew and Luke and how all of that came down. And as I read it and kept going over and over, I began to think, you know, if I had planned that first Christmas, I'd have probably done a little bit different. And so I just imagined if God brought me in and said, hey, Danny, I want to get your input on this. And God would say, Danny, I'm going to share my plan with you as to how I see this happen. And then I want you to share your plan and we'll compare our plans. I say, hey, that's a fair thing to do. Let's let's give that a shot. But God says that there are four non-negotiables that we've got to include in both our plans. First of all, uh, The earthly father has to be from the tribe of Judah and the lineage of David. It's been prophesied from the beginning, so that has to be part of his genealogy. Uh, The third thing is that the young woman who gives birth needs to be a virgin when she gives birth. And number four is it has to take place in Bethlehem. So tribe of Judah, lineage of David, born of a virgin in Bethlehem. Okay, so with those four non-negotiables, then put it all together and work out your plan. Tell me what you think on there. So I'd give God the first word and say, God, tell me what your, your plan is. And this is what God's plan would be. And that is, it is he had already chosen Joseph and Mary, that uh, while Joseph and Mary, and she's a young teenager, and she's dating, she's engaged to Joseph, they've not married yet, that Gabriel, an angel, would come to her and say, uh, you are most favored of all women, and in the midst of that would say, fear not, don't be afraid, okay? And, um, and say that you will be giving birth to God's son, Savior of the world. And she'll ask the question, well, how can this happen? So I've never been with a man. And it says, well, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And as he does that, then you will find yourself with this child. And so that story is told to Mary. And so as Mary hears that story, then shortly after that, she travels to see her cousin, Elizabeth. Now, six months before that, Elizabeth, with her husband, Zachariah, they 
find out that they're going to have a child. They've never been able to have children before. And God has told them that you're going to have a special child. He'll be a forerunner to the Messiah. So she's six months pregnant to give birth to the child that we know of as John the Baptist. And so Mary will then go to Elizabeth. And as soon as she sees her, it says that the baby with inside her began to leap in the womb. And it's like, it's like Elizabeth knew. And she said, you are blessed of all women. And as they talk, it is that the Messiah, you will be giving birth to the Messiah. And so there's this great confirmation that takes place. And she stays there for three months. Now, I'm just going to interject this. And I think if I ask God the question, I would say, do you think that somewhere in those three months that Elizabeth would have asked Mary, so what does Joseph think about this? And Mary's response would be, I haven't told him yet. And so for three months, she's going to be mighty nervous. Can you just imagine that? How am I going to explain this to Joseph? What am I going to tell him? And and she's began to try to process all that's going on. And at the end of three months, she travels back to Nazareth, nervously sets up a time to sit down and talk to Joseph, the one in whom she's engaged to, and the one to whom she's been faithful, and the one whom she has been waiting and will wait till after marriage. And as they have this discussion, she explains what happened. And then Joseph has got to listen to this story and go, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I can believe that or not. And so he hears this story. And his first thought is, I've got a couple of options. Uh, I can shame her in a public uh, divorce. And during that day, during a betrothal, if you, it's as, almost like you're, like you're married, but you hadn't consummated it, you would still have to get a divorce. He said, I could make a public shame of it because my name and my honor are being questioned right now because everyone's going to think it was me. Or he could do it privately to where he could just contact two witnesses and they go and they have a private ceremony and they sever that relationship. And so as he begins to think about it, he decides in his mind that he will go the respect route and will just privately divorce her. But then that same angel, an angel comes and tells him in a dream, he says, everything that Mary said is true and you will call his name Jesus and he's going to be the savior of the world. And so Joseph gets up the next day and he makes his decision. He says, that angel appeared to me. Everything you said was true, Mary. We're going to follow this together. We're going to walk through this together. And then they get to live in Nazareth and in their hometown where she grew up. And each month it goes by and then she begins to be showing. And there's questions about the pregnancy and they really can't tell anybody. It's not like, oh, yeah, that's the angel, uh, you know, that did that six, seven months ago. And, and they've got to put up with the rumors and the gossip and all of that that's happening in there. What a difficult uh, four months, five months, six months, seven months, eight months that they have to live there in Nazareth. And that's just what was happening in Nazareth. But then all of a sudden, to get them to Bethlehem, Caesar Augustus is going to do a taxation over all the kingdom. And so he's asking everybody to go to their, uh, to their uh, place of origin, to where their, uh, their, their lineage was. And for Joseph, he was of the lineage of David, that would take you to Bethlehem. And so with Mary, at least eight months pregnant, they then take a 70-mile journey, which could be four to seven days, a journey that would be very uncomfortable for him and very uncomfortable for her to be that far along in her pregnancy to take that journey to go to Bethlehem. But then when they get to Bethlehem, guess what? There's such a crowd there because of this taxation 
that there's no room in the inn and there's no room in, in any type of hotel. And the only place that they can stay in is an area where they keep the animals. And uh, some say a stable, some say it's like a cave. And in that cave is where the animals are. And so that's where they stay. That's where they spend the nights. And shortly thereafter, all of a sudden, it's time for, for her to give birth. And so as she's giving birth, she is probably thinking, she's getting close to this, that there are all these things I picked out for the baby in Nazareth. And there was that bassinet that, that, uh, that I had either built or, or purchased, and I couldn't wait to place the baby there. All that's back in Nazareth. And so while she's here getting ready to, to have this baby, her mom's not there. There's not the midwife there. There's Joseph that's there. And so he's the one that has to deliver this baby. And when he delivers this baby, he wraps it in straps of cloth and looking for a place to have the baby to rest. The only thing they can find is a feeding trough for the animal. So they put some straw in there and place their baby in that feeding trough for the baby to be resting. But then on that same night, all of a sudden, some shepherds are in the field, and it says that an angel comes and it says, well, I've got some great news for you, for all people. And that is the day a Savior is born in the city of Bethlehem, and you need to go see him. And this is good news for all people. And I'll give you a sign. He's there in swaddling cloths, and he's, he's lying in a manger. And so you guys go. And then all of a sudden it says there's a heavenly host of angels singing, praising God. And so these shepherds say, let's go. And so they go and they find them and they find this baby. And as they spend some time there, they tell Mary everything the angels told them. And then they walk away from there rejoicing and glorifying God in everything that happened. God says, that's my plan. I said, well... You know, I don't want to be pushy, but um, I think I got one that might be a little bit better. I said, hear me out. Okay, here's my plan. I really think that we can save some time here, and I don't understand why the angel went to Mary and then waited a while to go to Joseph. Let's get them together at the same time. Follow me with this. Mary and Joseph, they go on a date. They're living in Nazareth. They go to the scenic outlook. It's a place where everybody loves to sit, watch the sunset. And while they're sitting there on their date and the sun is setting, whoa, here comes Gabriel. And Gabriel appears. And as Gabriel appears, Gabriel says, hey, I'm glad I got you both together here. But uh, let me tell you what's getting ready to happen. Uh, the Son of God is going to be born. We've chosen you to be the mother, and you're going to be the father. Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you and explains all of that. They get to ask whatever questions that they have, and then they walk away, and that's sort of a, sort of a done deal. They know that. Now, we have just saved a lot of stress, Lord. Because, you see, she doesn't have to panic for three months of trying to figure out, how am I going to tell um, Joseph? he already knows. In fact, when she goes to Elizabeth, and I like that plan, by the way, when she goes to Elizabeth and Elizabeth asks her the question, she says, how's Joseph doing? She says, hey, he's cool about it. He's okay. It's okay. And Joseph, he's all right. He's fine. He doesn't have to make that tough decision. He doesn't have to decide, do I divorce her or keep her? How do you say no when an angel's standing right there with you and the girl you've pledged to marry and say, we want you to be the earthly parents of the son of God, the savior of the world? That's not when you say, you know, I didn't really want this. No, you're in it. You're in it. And there's no big decision for you. So we take a lot of stress off of him. Take stress off him when we take stress off of her. And they're truly going well in Nazareth. But then we got to get them to Bethlehem. <clears throat> I got a good idea on Bethlehem. 
about six months into her pregnancy, right when she's getting ready to start showing, and no one knows yet, it's just between those two, there's a traveling businessman who's from Bethlehem who's been traveling up north. He circles back through Nazareth, and as he circles through Nazareth, he notices the carpentry work of Joseph. And he says, I want to meet the man who does this type of work. When they show him it's Joseph, he goes and sees Joseph and he says, Joseph, tell you what, I am building some condominiums in Bethlehem and I am looking for uh, some good carpenters and I would love to have you come and to work for me for a season until we can get those condominiums completed. Would you be okay with you and your family to move down there? He says, yes, I'll be glad to do that. And so guess what he does? He accepts the job. And when he accepts the job, the company says, we'll pay all your moving expenses. And so they contact two men and a wagon. And so when they contact two men and a wagon, they will come and they will begin to put up all of his stuff. There we go. Yeah, there we are. We got two men and a wagon and they're going to come and, and, and they're going to back everything, including the bassinet that she was so excited about that she can now put in there and we're going to head on our way down to Bethlehem. Now, let me tell you the, the value of this. She's six months. She's not showing yet. This way she gets to Bethlehem. She avoids the embarrassment and all the rumors and all the gossip of everybody saying, how did that happen? And, and questioning her integrity. They're done. They're down to Bethlehem. Now, as soon as they get there, they check in at the Bethlehem bed and breakfast. So they've got them a place, the Bethlehem bed and breakfast. They've got them a spot. And when they move in over there, Joseph begins his job. He begins to do the work on the condos. Mary begins to meet people in the community. Mary also begins to find out who is the best midwife. So she finds out who the best midwife is. She talks to her. She says, hey, I'm close to having a baby. We'll stay in contact. All that works out great. Okay, three months later, on what we know as Christmas night, Jesus is born. And when Jesus is born, the trained midwife comes in with those soft hands and delivers the baby in the comfort of their room, placing the baby in the bassinet that Mary has chosen. That option, rather than Joseph with his callous carpenter hands, delivering this baby and placing it in a feeding trough. I'm liking my plan a lot better so far over here. But it gets even better. Because as soon as the hotel hears about it, they send a gift basket. And they send a gift basket to the room and saying, hey, we see that there's a new birth. And so in this gift basket, they have really got some nice things for them. First of all, there is a blue ribbon. And this will go on your door so everybody will know that it is a baby boy that was born over here. And just for you, we have a door hanger. It says, shh, son of God sleeping. Put this on the outside of the door and that way you can have some silence and you won't have to worry about anything along the way. And every family's got to have this, a diffuser with your essential oils. So every child has to have one of these and there'll be an essential oil salespeople here at the end of the service. So uh, you get your starter kit of essential oils along with your diffuser to just to get that aroma to help that baby already started out on there. But then you want to be really careful. So we have some Purell, we got some hand cleaner over here and we've got some wet ones and antibacterial wipes you can't be too careful and then you also need to have Lysol you need to have Lysol because you got to spray down the room you got to make sure that everything is clean and just perfect because you don't want that baby to be getting sick and understanding that your child is going to be an itinerant evangelist we have sent you some instructions of how to set up your own GoFundMe account and so with this, then he'll be taken care of and uh, pretty well allowed his future. And financially, he'll have nothing to worry about throughout his life. They presented all of that. 
this is a good day. This is a great day. But then it continues on. You know, I like your idea about the shepherds. That's a good call. I'm a little questioning because they are kind of nasty folks. And they're real dirty. But still, I think that the angels come. They share everything they want to with the shepherds. However, at the very end, when they say, and this shall be a sign to you, you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. This is what you probably need to tell them. And this will be a sign for you. You'll go to the Bethlehem bed and breakfast and take a right down the hall to the door with the blue ribbon on the outside and the son of God is sleeping door hanger. Gently knock on the door. And when they open the door, you will see the baby clothed in a blue baby gap jumper lying in the new bassinet. The shepherds, they're kind of dirty and nasty. So once they come in, Mary has got the Purell. Clean your hands and the wet wipes over here to make sure they get all cleaned up because they got to be clean before they can ever go and see this baby. And they come, they see the baby, and when they walk out, out of the room, as soon as they walk out of the room, Joseph takes Lysol, he sprays down the whole room, and then every person glorifies and praises God. Thank you so much. All right, so that is my plan. That's a pretty good plan. We've taken a lot of stress off, folks. Made it pretty good. Gave a good start to Mary and to Joseph and a good start to baby Jesus. And when you look at that, this is sort of a plan that we would come up with. Not just me, but all of us. We kind of like this convenience, this ease within this plan. But you know, as I began to look at that plan, if I was in that conversation with God... All of a sudden, he would probably quote to me Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, and it says this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It says that God's thoughts are higher and different than my thoughts. And as I started thinking about my plan that I thought sure would work out, I realized that my view is pretty self-centered and short-sighted. And God's thoughts and ways and what he's looking for is so much different than mine. While I'm looking for ease, God is looking for endurance. While I am looking at simple, God is looking at steadfastness. While I'm looking at convenience, God is looking at character. And while I'm looking at self-sufficiency, God is looking at sacrificial surrender. We're on two opposite thoughts. There's some differences in my plan and God's plan. Let me break it down for you. Nazareth. My plan, streamline the process to reduce stress. Streamline the process to reduce stress. For God's plan, his is stretch out the process to result in success. Stretch out the process to result in success. My plan, angel shows up, only has to make the statement one time. Both are there. Joseph's there. Mary's there. Joseph doesn't have to wrestle with the decision. Boom, we're done. Streamline the process, you reduce the stress. But what God's plan is, is let's stretch out the process to result in success. Mary needed to hear the news by herself. She needed Gabriel, to share this news to her by herself so that she could begin to process this. 
She did not need some analytical man over here sitting next to her to start trying to go through all the details and stuff. She didn't need that. What she needed is to be on her own, take her time, and process what this means. She needed to go spend three months with her cousin Elizabeth because she's talking to another woman who's got a miracle pregnancy. And they began to talk about what the Lord has disclosed about their child, and she talks about what the Lord disclosed about her child. And during those three months, she has to walk through about what are the people going to say in the community? Is there going to be ridicule? Are there going to be some false accusations? Am I willing to do that? And what is it like to be responsible for the Son of God? Every parent knows that when your child is born, you kick into protection mode. I mean, that is your job. You want to protect that child. How would you like it if God says, you've got the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Take care of that one and protect that one. Think of all the thoughts that are going through her mind. And this is something she needs to process. She needs to process it on her own first before she has to go and talk to Joseph. She needed that. She needed the private audience with Gabriel. And she needed that time to process And what about Joseph? If the angel had told them at the same time, do you think that Joseph could have said no? No. The angel comes and tells you the son of God's going to be born and you're going to be the earthly father's going to have to raise them with this woman that you've pledged your life to? Do you really think he thinks he can say no? No. He can't say no. Then all of a sudden when times get difficult and then the rumors are flying and then the Difficulty comes because I'm protecting the one who is the son of God. You know, maybe there'll be some times during there to where Joseph says, I didn't, I, I didn't sign up for this. When we were getting engaged, this is a whole new set of circumstances. You know, I didn't know if I want to be in this. I don't even know if I love this woman or not. I thought I did, but I don't know if it's worth it. I don't know if this relationship is worth it. And so there's all kind of questions that would come up at the end. But you see, the way God did it was, He let Mary tell him, and then Joseph had to, in essence, process, do I love her and do I respect her? If he didn't love her and didn't respect her, and he just wanted to protect his name and his honor, he could have drugged her through the mud. He could have made her a public spectacle and could have said, this woman's been unfaithful to me and need to protect my name and my honor. Now, there's no way he could understand the angel story she told him. And so in his mind, she's been unfaithful. There's no other way he can look at it. But he still loved her. He still respected her. And so he did, at that time, what would be the greatest respect for someone that has to uh, terminate a relationship. So he had already wrestled through the fact that there's a love for her. And so when the angel came and says, hey, here's the whole story, there wasn't any question, any problem with him. He said, I'm all in. I'm all in. And I would think that because of what he processed, that when they went through those difficult days, and when a couple years later they have to flee to Egypt and and that they know that Herod's after them and there's this constant worry about him, he's going to be strong. And he's going to be strong in his relationship with Mary. He's going to be strong as the earthly father of Jesus. You see, what God said is, Danny, I want to stretch out the process to result in success. God stretched out the process and result was success. That's Nazareth, Bethlehem. Me, my plan, 
Smooth transition for comfort in the short run. A smooth transition for comfort in the short run. I mean, what I shared with you in that kind of make-believe story is exactly how we want our life to work out. It's exactly what we want. We want to find ourselves in a difficult situation and we would love for all of a sudden some business person to come out of the clear, offer me this new job in a new city, get a new start. We're going to take care of your move. We're going to move you into a place and, uh, and then people are going to befriend you. You're going to get lavish with gifts and life is going to, going to be great. And see, that's the way it should work, shouldn't it? If you're going to be a child of God, it should all work out that way. And so my plan was thinking that, get this smooth transition, get comfort in the short run. But see, God's plan is a little different. His is ripples and waves for building faith capacity for the long run. Ripples and waves for building faith capacity for the long run. It's not just a smooth transition. There will be ripples and waves, but God will use this because his desire is to build faith capacity for the long run. <clears throat> Oftentimes we think that because we're Christ followers that God will clear away all the obstructions and make our paths easy to traverse. But God's plan is not for reclining, it is for refining. God's plan is not for reclining, but for refining. It is not for us just to lock into him and then say, we just get to sit back and God's going to take care of everything. There'll be uh, no more disease in my life. There'll be no more problems in any relationships. My job will always be fine. Economically, I'll have no problems. This is just sit back and travel that road. But you see, that's not God's plan. God's plan, he's not concerned about us reclining. He's concerned about refining. And the timing to Bethlehem was not convenient. The trip was physically challenging. The accommodations were below standard. But all of these difficulties were being used by God to prepare Mary and Joseph for the journey that was before them. A journey that was unlike any other in all the world. And that is, they were the earthly parents of the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And what God was doing, even at this early moment, was preparing them for the difficulties of that journey. There was a refining process that was taking place. So if I asked you today, well, so what do you want? What do you want in life? Many of us would quickly say, well, I would like comfort, ease, and prosperity. Comfort, ease, and prosperity. And if God could just give me those three things, I would be so good. But you know what God may be wanting to do? You know what you might need? For this long run of faith, delays, uncertainty, persecution, rejection, struggle, setbacks, challenges emotionally, vocationally, relationally, physically. In weaving the tapestry of your life, waves and ripples could be essential elements to build your faith capacity for the long run. God is weaving this incredible tapestry of your life. And God doesn't want you to miss out on any hurt or setback that comes your way. He wants to show himself in every one of those. And as he continues to refine you, he continues to refine you so that you and so that I can be more in the image of his son. But that refining takes place oftentimes through difficult times. You know, don't you see people along your journey 
that are just, just like amazing Christians, amazing believers. And, and, and you'll see their dedication, their devotion. There's just something about their countenance. And, and I know I've seen people like this. And I've walked away from that and I say, man, you know, I would, I would love to be like that. That's the kind of believer that I really want to be. But then when you hear their story, the question is, would I be willing to go through what they went through to get there? Because most of those people who have got that, that incredible walk with God, that confidence in the Lord, have been through some dark valleys, been through some setbacks and disappointments, been through some times when they've fallen down and had to get back up. They've been through the difficulties. But in the midst of it, they saw God in this whole new light. And through the waves and ripples of their life, God was using that to build up this faith capacity for the long run. And that's what he's doing with Mary and he's doing with Joseph. Building up that faith capacity for the long run. So we got Nazareth, we got Bethlehem, we've got the shepherds. So the shepherds. We had a little two different views of the shepherds. For me, the shepherds were an inconvenience to be endured. They were an inconvenience to be endured. You know, as soon as they knocked on the door and they opened the door, first thing we're going to do is give them some Purell. Could you clean yourself up before you come in? I really don't want you touching our baby, don't want you seeing our baby, but we really want you to clean up. And then we pretended like we were happy they were there, but as soon as they left, we Lysoled everything because we didn't want that. Those kind of guys. You know, shepherds during that day, they were not highly thought of. Religiously, they were unclean. They couldn't even go into worship services. They were religiously unclean. Socially, they were despised. And economically, they were depressed. And so people just didn't really like shepherds that much. And in fact, they were so disrespected that if you had a court case, you could not call a shepherd to be a witness for you because people just didn't think highly of them. And so... My plan was, okay, we'll marginalize these people. We'll let them come in, but who knows what kind of sheep diseases they're bringing in over here. And I don't think they should really come in over here. And, and it's just sort of breaking into our schedule. And, and, uh, and, and I just, I, why couldn't the mayor of Bethlehem show up? And what about the city council members? Where were they? Why of all things that we get stinky, smelly shepherds to come in here and don't tell them what diseases they've left with us by the time they've gone? You see, for me, it was an inconvenience to be endured. For God, it was an insight to be embraced. And the insight to be embraced was that Jesus is Savior to all. It was an insight to be embraced. And that the Son of the Most High's first visit came from society's most low. And to where God called out to the people that were the lowest on society's rung. And he said, I've got a great announcement for you. Today is born in Bethlehem a Savior and it's good news for all people. It's for all people. And that included them. I mean, these are guys who weren't getting a lot of good news. And they said, seriously. And you got the opportunity to go meet the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And they said, we're heading over there. We're going to do this. This is for all people. It's an insight to be embraced that Jesus is the, he is the Savior for all. But then if I had to do like a part B, it would be a confirmation of his promises. It was a confirmation of his promises. Because in his plan, he had Mary and Joseph go through some difficult times. I mean, it was, it was, it was tough sledding to get to that nine months and that baby to be born. And then all of a sudden, that baby is born. 
you look down, you see the child, you think about what all you've gone through, and you know there's got to be questions. Is this the way God would do all this? I mean, it seems like he would at least called ahead and gotten us some reservations. I mean, uh, this makes no sense. And when doubts may be creeping in, all of a sudden, there in that cave comes a group of shepherds, and they said, we got an incredible story to tell you. It was an angel, and they said, hey, we've heard that story before, came and talked to us. And it told us about a Savior that was born. And then there was this heavenly host all throughout that were singing and praising God. And we wanted to come and see this child. And they come and they see this child. And I got a feeling at that moment, Joseph kind of pushed the chest out a little bit more. <laughs> Son of God. And it says in 2.19, Luke 2.19, and Mary treasured all these things in her heart. She treasured them. She pondered them. She took everything and she put it together and wrapped it up in her heart. And she could go all the way back from the first time that Gabriel talked to her, all the way through the conversations with Joseph, all the way through the ridicule and the gossip that happened in Nazareth, to the difficult journey there in Bethlehem, to the disappointment of not having any great place to stay, and then there, being there in a stable or in a cave and having to deliver your firstborn child without any of your family around who you had planned to be there, it's just not the way that you had drawn it out or mapped it out. And then all of a sudden, God comes back with that confirmation saying hey I just want to let you know this is the son of God you are the chosen earthly parents and he will be the savior for all the world and I brought the lowest of society to come and to tell you that this is the son of the most high God and she treasured all that in her heart because when Jesus is in his twos and his threes and his fours and his fives and as he's growing and then you're questioning, is this really all true? And then you go back and you take those, those memories and you go, okay, that makes sense. The waves and the ripples, you know what? They've strengthened my faith. And so for us, with this story, as you ponder your life during this Christmas, I want you to think about the stretched out processes, the ripples and the waves, and the tapestry of your life that is being weaved by the one who loves you. And may you see in the midst of these difficulties a confirmation of his promises. I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. I will always be there for you. May this Christmas be a continuing weaving of that tapestry of your life. Let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. Heavenly Father, we are reminded at Christmas time especially, that um, your ways, your thoughts are so different from our ways and our thoughts. And Lord, as we go through this season, may every time we see the Christmas story and we think about, about the travails and some of the difficulties along the way, may we be reminded of our own lives and our own travels and may we remember, too, that just as you were guiding Joseph and Mary, you also are there to guide us. And the Lord, to know that when sometimes we get off the track, that you're there to bring us back on to the track. And that your desire is that we would be refined and we would be the image of Christ. So it's our prayer, Lord, that as we go through this Christmas season, that it will not be our plans, but it will be your plans. And it will rest on you, rest on your word, and we'll have confidence in who you are and what you've said.
For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.